and welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and I am so excited, you guys. This weekend is the Fan Alley Ground Zero Animation Expo. It is going to be awesome. There are so many wonderful artists exhibiting. There's going to be workshops. There's going to be panels. It's going to be just fantastic. I'm really looking forward to it. Make sure to stop by the Animation Network and the Ink and Paint Girls podcast booths. Friends of the show, make sure to say hello to Chris and Cassie. They are wonderful people. Also, friend of the show, Peter Paul, is going to be giving a workshop, which I believe is sold out. So definitely check online for that. If it's not sold out, you should sign up for it. Previous guest Morgan Gill will also be hosting a workshop along with Jordan Cock, uh, one of my coworkers over on the Loud House, is going to have a workshop as well. And then on Sunday, the second day of the expo, Sean Ganka from the Loud House and Chris Wimberly from the Animation Network podcast will be hosting a panel. So, so many wonderful things are going on. So make sure to get your tickets for that. I'll have information in the show notes. And then The very next weekend, the Animation Network will be having their networking mixer. It's going to be amazing. Really looking forward to that as well. And the cost for that is only $10. So tickets are still available. And there's also tickets still available for their life drawing workshop that's going to be happening right before the mixer. So make sure to check that out as well. And then finally, at the end of the month, Women in Animation is presenting a talk with Lorraine Newman over at DreamWorks on Tuesday, February 28th. And then the next month is WonderCon at the end of March. So, so many things. As more events happen, I'll make sure to let you know. And as I mentioned, all of that information will be listed in the show notes, so you'll be able to check out the websites, get your tickets, and go to all of those fantastic and fun events. And speaking of fantastic, I am very excited to present my guest today, Luis Smythe. Luis is a story artist at Pixar Animation Studios, and looking at her resume, you would just think that she had the most charmed life. I mean, she went to CalArts, she works at Pixar, easy path, right? Not at all. Luis worked really, really hard to get to where she is, and she has a lot of great advice for everybody out there. We talked about her journey getting into the studio and what it's like working as a story artist, and we just had a really great conversation. So I know all of you are going to enjoy it. So without further ado, I present episode 38, Interview with Luis Smythe, part one. I am here today with my friend Luis Smythe. Luis, how are you? Good. How are you? I am doing very well. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm very excited to have this opportunity to talk to you. Oh, yeah, me too. I know. We've been planning this for a long time, and we finally made it work. <laughs> Hooray. Yes, Yay. the power of calendars. I love yes. it. <laughs> so I always like to start off with people's origin stories. So where are you from? I am from Memphis, Tennessee, born and raised. Excellent. And what was it like growing up in Memphis? It was fun. It was really hot in the summers. It was very humid. And I was a really weird kid growing up. I was really into like, you know, I love Disney princess stuff and all that. But I also was really into um, dragons and dinosaurs. I was obsessed with like Land Before Time and uh, Jurassic Park had come out when I was a kid. And so I uh, was very imaginative and would walk around like a T-Rex, you know, with my arms tucked up and roaring at cars. But I also had a Cinderella wig that I would wear. (laughs) And so I was quite unique, I guess. (laughs) But it was really fun to grow up with my my parents who were super chill about me just being myself and being creative. And so that was nice. (laughs) Special, I don't know. (laughs) No, but I find that that tends to be the through line for people. It tends to be when you're very small, you know that, hey, I like these things and I'm not necessarily like the other kids, but yeah, I'm cool I, was with never, that. I was never into like sports or anything. And uh, Memphis is definitely like a, it's definitely a Southern town and sports are a big deal. Football is a big deal. Uh, and I just was never really into that stuff. I was really into just movies and art and 
I liked theater when I got a little older, um, but I never really got into the sports thing. So I wasn't really an odd duck. Like I wasn't really picked on for it or anything. I just like, it was just something that people noticed. Like I was a little different, I guess. But hey, that's all right. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I remember when I was a kid, it's funny that you're talking about you used to run around pretending to be a T-Rex. I used to <laughs> run around pretending that I was Dumbo. Yeah. So I used to wave my arms and pretend I was flying around. Oh, yeah. I would also, I had a really intense obsession with The Little Mermaid, as most people our age, I think, have experienced. And I would um, go to the local pool and try to hold my breath underwater as long as I could and watch my hair float around and pretend I was Ariel. <laughs> and I'd try to swim with my legs together. <laughs> Yeah, I feel times. like every little girl tried to do the aerial jumping out of the water as you're oh, singing yeah. onto the rock move. I think every kid tried that at and least failed. five or <laughs> ten times. Yeah, probably not the most photogenic opportunity. <laughs> no, but you just have to because you see that and you go, I'm times. totally going to do it. Yeah. Here we go. I'm going to be majestic. <laughs> yep. I'm going to get my you know mouth filled with pool water. Okay. Yep. Oh, yeah. It might work for real. <laughs> But it was really, yeah, and, and Memphis is, you know, it's a good small town to, like, grow up in and raise a family, I think. So it was what it was. I can't really compare it to anything else, you know, so. So what was it that made you decide, I want to go into the world of animation? Were you interested in drawing and, like, painting and cartoons, or did mm -hmm. you have some other pathway? Yeah, I I always drew just since I could hold a crayon, you know, just forever. So I always liked drawing a lot. And I always thought I would be an artist. Like, I was 100% sure. And when I was a little kid, that meant, like, I'm going to be the next Michelangelo. And I didn't really know what that meant, you know? <laughs> and then when I was um, a little older, I thought that meant maybe I would be, you know, an art teacher or a children's book illustrator or something like that. But I also really loved acting. I really enjoyed theater and musicals or straight plays, you name it. Like it was so fun for me. And I went through a phase where I really wanted to be an actress, you know, and be on the big screen, but I always really loved drawing and I didn't want to give that up, you know, for this other passion that I found when I was a little bit older. And um, one day, so I was going to college for art school to be a children's book illustrator. And I was like, well, I'll just do theater on the side. That'll just be a fun side hobby. And I, was watching the behind the scenes of Aladdin DVD. And that was like the first time I saw Glenn Keane animating anything. That was the first time I'd ever heard of who he was. I was watching all this behind the scenes stuff about storyboarding and 2D animation and pencil tests. And I was like, oh my gosh, what? What? This is, I never even thought about this as an option. And I'm like already in college. Oh no, <laughs> I need to change my, my major, you know? And, um, it turns out I didn't really have to. I, st I stuck with illustration and graduated from college and everything. But uh, it was definitely eye-opening when I saw that. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you get paid to to make cartoons. Like, that's so cool. And it's both acting and drawing in one. Like, I can find a way to do both of these things as a living. And that was very exciting. That is great. I remember the trailer for Aladdin. Because I remember when it <laughs> came out and it said, you know, presenting something you've never seen before. And I remember them flipping the animation pages that were just the pencil tests, you know. Uh, and I remember seeing that. That was the first time I'd ever seen them, you know, flip animation paper. And I thought, what is happening? Yeah, it's like that magic. is really cool. And then they showed the trailer and I thought, this looks like the best movie that's ever been made. It, it I have really to cool. go and see this. Yeah. And I, I love that movie as a kid, too, and all the Disney movies. I just loved The Lion King and Beauty and the Beast. And so I just, you know, got all those DVDs with the bonus features and, like, chewed through them, you know, just marathoned all that extra juicy goodness of um, bonus material because I, I just want to learn as much as possible. And that was when I learned about The Nine Old Men and, you know, the history of Disney animation and, and not just Disney animation, just, like, lots of, you know, tons of other animators too, and got really inspired by that. So it was really exciting to finally discover something that I felt like I could do. That's wonderful. And where did you go to school? Did you go to art school or were you at a state school? Yeah, I went, so I went to Pratt Institute in New York for one semester and I was an art, you know, it was an art school and I, ended up dropping out because I got sick. Uh, so I took a year off 
and got better. And then I ended up transferring to Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri, because I was like, you know, I want to go to a school that has like some good academics, but is also, you know, a good art program. And this is before I discovered animation still. I was still kind of like trying to figure out what I wanted to do. So I was like, well, that seems safe. I can take art classes, but I can also take academic classes and it's a safe route. And it was great. You know, I learned a lot and had really good teachers there. And I was in the communication design program, you know, so it was like graphic design and illustration were the main focuses. So I graduated from there after about three years. That was around the time that I discovered animation as a possibility and really knew deep down, like, oh, this is what I want. So I freelanced for a little bit after graduating and went to CalArts, you know, the the school. <laughs> I was like, that's where I got to go. So I uh, put together a portfolio and hoped for the best and thankfully got in. And um, so I freelanced for a while while going to CalArts for two years. And then I dropped out to work at Pixar. So that was kind of the basic timeline of how that all worked out. And we're going to unpack all of that because I know <laughs> that the listeners out there are thinking, how did she get her freelance jobs? How exactly did oh, she get into CalArts? Yeah. Wait a minute. She only went for two years that she got hired by Pixar? How does this <laughs> even happen? So I'm asking Luis, how does that happen? Because that is an amazing story. And I know it's the story that a lot of people sometimes wish they had. Mm. So you actually have that story. So how did that all come about? Yeah, I feel really lucky, honestly. Like a lot of it was good timing, I think. And I know that's like a really annoying answer because you can't control that, but that's definitely part of it for sure. But I also think that for me, I just made as many connections as I could. You know, I, I had an online presence that wasn't super strong. I wasn't, you know, I'm not the most like dedicated person to having an online presence of some kind, but I made a blog and like would share it with people and then they would know somebody who knew somebody who wanted to hire an illustrator for like a small game thing they were making or a friend of a friend is writing a children's book and he's an illustrator. So it was a lot of stuff like that, just making connections with, you know, my classmates who knew people or who knew somebody who knew somebody. It's all like connections. And um, so I was trying to learn the networking game for a while. And I was like, wow, to be a freelancer, this is really, you know, a huge part of it is really knowing how to sell yourself as an artist. Like you have to kind of market yourself in a lot of ways and remind people like, hey, this is what I do. So I kept up an online presence for a while and tried to keep my blog updated and just kept working on projects, just really small things here and there, nothing too major while I was going to CalArts. And I think that helped just kind of like get me some more experience in working professionally, but also helped me to make a little money while going to school that was quite expensive. So that helped. My parents were happy about that, I guess. <laughs> they were very help, nice and helped me out a lot. So that was, that was very, that was a huge blessing for sure. Like I am very humbled by that still, that they were so willing to help me out and help me chase my crazy dream of working somewhere like a big animation company. I remember my dad was like, can you do that for, for a living? Like, can you can you make art for a living? That's a real thing. And I was like, yeah, dad. And I explained Pixar and all this stuff. And he was like, all right, cool. Go for it. So <laughs> as long as you can make money doing it, go for it. <laughs> so I did. Um, so I think that motivated me too, just like wanting to kind of prove that, yes, this is a career that is real and you can definitely make a living doing. And that's great too, that you had that conversation with your parents. A lot of mm, people yeah. that I've interviewed They've had to have that conversation with their parents to varying degrees of success. And for yeah. a couple of people, their parents weren't on board until they actually had a job. I Getting know. to art school caused, you know, rifts in the relationship and lots of arguments and yeah. just a lot of turmoil. So it's really great that you were able to show your parents, this is an actual career and I will support myself and I will not live on... You know, I won't be living on your couch for the rest yeah, of my exactly. life. I can go forth. Yeah, it, I think that motivated me a lot, actually, it was just trying to prove that it was a viable career, you know, and I and, and they didn't really, it's not like they didn't believe me. They were actually really supportive, but there was still this part of me that was like, they're just being nice. I want to really show them <laughs> that it's real, you know, and I'm, it's not just like some hobby that I'm chasing. It's a real career opportunity that I want to have. And you know, but I, I definitely took a lot of 
a lot of freelance gigs along the way that, you know, cause I kept thinking like, Oh, I want to work at Pixar. And I sent my portfolio and got rejected. And I was like, all right, that's okay. I'm going to keep doing these other illustration jobs and stuff. And, you know, it's going to, it's going to work out. Can I get, going to get that money, <laughs> you know? So I think not giving up on the, the big goal, you know, is also, you know, kind of knowing that it can be a long-term goal, but saying yes to a lot of things on the way is really important. How did you stay inspired along the way? Because I know that's a big issue for people is not allowing discouragement and not allowing the anxiety to cripple them. Oh, yeah, that can be hard because for me, a big motivator was looking at other people's work online and seeing how like great they were and how, you know, just cool their work was and how unique it was. And it would really inspire me to try to push myself. But at the same time, it could also be kind of crippling because I would compare myself negatively and be like, oh, I'm not good enough. Like, I don't I don't know what my style is or I don't know how to draw like that person. And their style is so cool. And after a while, I felt like I needed to take a little bit of a break from it and just try to be like, "Okay, who who am I (laughs) as an artist and just draw my sketchbook and draw from life. And that helped. So but for me, definitely like having an artist community, whether it's online or in real life, you know, like your friends down the street who have similar interests or whatever, it makes a big difference. And um, so I was part of some online communities like DeviantArt and Blogger when it was a little more popular at the time and uh, the Illustration Academy. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention, sorry, backtracking a bit. The Illustration Academy was a huge, huge inspiration for me. I went there for two summers and it was like summer illustration boot camp taught by John English and Mark English, his dad, and uh, Brent Watkinson, and John Foster's a teacher there, George Pratt. I mean, it was just amazing. And they were, they, they made it like doable. Like you can make art that is good. You just need to learn the skills. And they just broke it down into almost a science. And it was like so helpful for me because it really helped my confidence a lot just being around other students that were extremely driven and really into their stuff and just drawing in their sketchbooks like every day. And, you know, it it helped because I tend to be lazy. So it really inspired me to stay off my butt and keep practicing. (laughs) So I think, I think whether it's a community that you have online or, you know, in your, in the real world, for lack of a better term, that's a huge, huge help. So I highly recommend that. All right. And you went there was that after CalArts or was that during was the between, same time? It was in between WashU and CalArts. So, okay. oh man, it was so awesome. Like I cannot, if, whoever's listening, like you got to go there <laughs> if you want to be an illustrator for sure. Like it's just so helpful. Like, and they're just so generous with their time and their knowledge. And I mean, they're just amazing. Really great for comic. If people are interested in comics as well. They've got a lot of great guys for teaching that. George Pratt, man, especially, like, I learned so much from him. <laughs> and where are they located? They had, the one I went to was in Kansas City, Missouri. And actually, you know what? I can look up right now where they, because I think they have an online class as well. Shameless plug. No, open. it's great. Right. Actually, I am a big advocate for shameless plugs because, yeah. you know, especially when it comes to, you know, schools or courses or oh, yeah. books, because everyone is you know, everyone's always asking and always looking for, you know, where should I go? What should I do? What's a good Mm -hmm. course? Well, and art schools nowadays are so expensive. It's just insane. I mean, it's like, no wonder they call you a starving artist if you're going to go into debt for, you know, like as much as you're being paid and as much as you're paying for school, it's just crazy. And I feel like the Illustration Academy had a very reasonable tuition and it was, you know, it's just a summer course. So it's just a few months and I felt like I learned more in just a couple of months with them than I did in three years at my undergrad and not to knock my undergrad school because it was great too, but there's just something really special about this place that I think anyone can benefit from it. And it's the website is www.theillustrationacademy.com and you can choose online or in-person courses, which is great. So you can have, if you have a day job and you can only do night classes or something, it looks like it could be pretty flexible. It's come a long way since I went, which is really great. So check it out. <laughs> Excellent. And I'll put that in the show notes. So everybody yeah. out there, check That's out the great. school because it sounds amazing. Yeah. I can't recommend it enough. 
and the guys who teach there are really cool. <laughs> Very good. And then what courses did you take at CalArts that you felt helped you out the most? Because, you know, students are always asking too, like which schools to go to. And a lot of students want to go to CalArts. So sure. yeah, of course. like which yeah. ones did you take where you felt like this was the one that really propelled me forward? It's funny because my freshman year, I, all I wanted to do was take storyboarding classes. Like that's all I, I was like, I want to be a storyboard artist. Like I have decided that's all I care about. And, uh, I had, I kind of had to take all these other classes, like CG animation 101 or whatever, and like CG modeling and stuff. And so that was kind of frustrating because it took up some, some of the time where I was like, oh, I could be learning how to storyboard. So my first year was a little bit trickier, but my second year, I felt like I really got uh, to learn a lot. And I think the biggest thing for me was, especially freshman year, when I was having to take a lot of these, like, kind of set classes that you take, um, the my peers, I learned so much. I remember the upperclassmen, some of them kind of just took me under their wing and they were like, oh, we can see you want to learn storyboarding. Let us show you our tips and tricks. And it was so awesome. I was like, oh, that's what the 180 rule is, or, oh, that's why you draw this kind of shot. And it was just so cool to have, you know, these people who were just so giving, share this stuff with me. So I think really it was my fellow students and being in that environment with a bunch of people who are all just animation geeks, you know, who love this stuff coming together and being like, Hey, young Padawan, let's show you the ropes. <laughs> and that was really cool. And um, obviously once I was, once I did take some storyboarding classes, that was, that was a big help for me. So I was really inspired by, by that. Uh, also just making films every year. That was one of the things that attracted me to CalArts was they make you do a student film every year and you don't like work up to one student film. That's going to represent your whole four years at a school. You, if you're there for four years, you make four films and they might be terrible or they might be great, but you're making a film and you're learning a lot that way. And so I think that helped me too, because it helped me think about the whole process. So I wasn't just focusing on like making pretty storyboards. I was thinking about like filmmaking and what my intention is and what kind of story I'm trying to tell and, you know, how to balance all those things. Cause you have to know that stuff as a story artist too. And um, yeah, just spending time with, uh, my mentor for that, they give you mentors with, with your films sometimes. And I had um, Chris Sonnenberg help me a lot. And he was, he was very influential, very, very great guy. I really, really enjoy working with him. <laughs> and can people yeah. still watch your student films or are they buried deep oh, yeah. within the recesses? It's of out the there earth? somewhere. I made two. I think I deleted one of them because I was ashamed of it and uh -oh. thought it sucked. But it, looking back, it's probably fine. I'm just self-conscious. And I made one my second year called The Dust Bunny. And it's about a little girl who has a dust bunny under her bed that comes to life <laughs> without spoiling it. That's what happens. So that was my second year film. And I had a lot of fun with that because it was really personal. It was like a very personal story, which I really enjoyed doing. And oh, and the other class, I almost forgot. Gosh, the other class I learned a lot from was a layout class with Dan Hansen. And it was just 2D animation layout principles like composition, staging, just how to draw in perspective, like that was hugely helpful for me because that was something I was really weak at. I knew, you know, I need to get better at it if I wanted to be a storyboard artist. So I was like, all right, this class. And Dan was great. He really, he's such a good teacher. Yeah, I, I loved Dan's class. And that's something that everyone's afraid of, perspective. Everyone yeah. seems to fear perspective and drawing hands. But I feel like it's one of those things where if you're yeah. scared of it, then just draw more of it. Yeah, just, just draw it. it until you're no longer scared. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't have to be scary. Like, I remember my first ever perspective class that I took, like, freshman year of college. I was so bad at it. Like, I just, I was, like, relying on the rulers, and I didn't understand vanishing points. And I was just like, oh, I don't know how to do this. And then I, the more I practiced, the more I was able to kind of just freehand it and draw from life more, you know. And that helped me practice perspective better and... So there's, you know, it just takes time. You just have to be willing to put up with the frustrations. <laughs> but that is an important skill. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. I'm still working on it, you know. <laughs> See, even the professionals. Still oh, working. yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> so now let's get to Pixar. So, you know, it wasn't like you applied once and then first time in. Congrats. Oh, no. <laughs> so what was that journey like? 
Definitely. Yeah, not like that. So I applied every I think I applied to story every time. And there were a couple of times I sent stuff to the visual development internships as well. And it was always for the internships, never for the, you know, actual position being offered, like professional story artists, because I knew it wasn't there yet. But I was like, Oh, I could be an intern. Yeah, sure. And I, (laughs) I sent in for my first year applying, I sent in a portfolio to the story internship that was full of just like, random sketches and no storyboards or anything it was like look i can draw and i had like paintings in there i was like oh i can paint maybe that'll like you know encourage them to hire me for that like i I just it was kind of all over the place it's like interpretive storyboards if you squint really hard you can tell that there's a story here yeah it didn't really have a focus so i um I got rejected, obviously, because they were like, all right, she didn't send storyboards. Um, so, yeah, everybody listening, so if you want to do a story position, send storyboards. <laughs> so the year after that, I didn't quite get the memo, and I kept sending them the same kind of stuff, like, oh, maybe this year I'll get it, you know, and they said no. And then by the time I, I think around the third or fourth time I applied, I finally, like, made the connection, like, oh, I should probably send storyboards, so I put together some storyboards and um I kept some like because I had done character design stuff as well and I really I still enjoy doing that a lot it's fun but um I was like oh I can include that by including character designs that are related to the storyboards I have in there so it could be like a presentation of a story about this crazy guy who's like a hillbilly. And then here are some storyboards of his character sheet that I drew, you know, like a turnaround of the crazy guy. So things like that, like having more of a focus, you know, and I looked at some art of books to get inspiration and my friends and I would kind of, you know, compare each other's portfolios and give each other tips and like, Oh, this would look better here. Or, oh, you should include that drawing. That's a great drawing. And, or that drawing stinks, take it out. Like <laughs> there are definitely some times where I heard that. So uh, that helped a lot to have some peers just to kind of like check in with like, hey, does this look good? So definitely, you know, having fellow artists to balance stuff off, uh, bounce stuff off of really helped. Oh, and also oh, the big thing, the, big, the biggest thing for that was um, I kept sending Pixar what I thought they wanted to see. So I was sending stuff that was this, this looks like something Pixar would like. But I wasn't really drawing stuff that was my own personal stuff that I like to see. And um, around the same year that I realized, oh, I should probably put storyboards in my portfolio was around the same time that I realized, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to be myself. And if they don't like it, that's fine. Like, I don't care. I just want to show them what I like. And that was the year that they actually got interested and called me up and offered me the internship. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. It's true. They do want to see your personal your personality come through, you know, they don't want to see someone just draw what they, they're like, well, we can already do that. What do you have that's unique? You know? So that was a good lesson. That is good. Cause I, yeah. I noticed that a lot on Instagram and other websites. It's the Disney style is very popular and the Pixar sure. style is very popular and the adventure time style oh, yeah. is very popular. So you see a lot of that and it's really well done, but it always makes me wonder but what would your personal ideas and thoughts look like? Yeah. And maybe, I mean, and that might sound kind of weird because I can hear people saying, but my personal style is Disney style or Pixar style or Adventure Time style. But someone had to go in and create that. And I always like it when I see somebody doing something that's, just you know a little bit or very much different from that where you can tell oh they've studied a lot of different people and a lot of different styles and they have their own ideas and here it is and it might not get as many likes but it's interesting yeah it's it's like your own you're being true to yourself and Mm -hmm. keeping it real you know like I, I that's why I like drawing from life a lot um to get ideas like because I'm not really so much a character designer anymore like I I, I, mo- I mostly just do storyboards and then like draw for myself for fun. I like don't post it online anymore because I'm lazy and I forgot my blog password. <laughs> but 
I mean, I have a really bad online presence. I think I have an Instagram and I have You do, because you friended yeah. me and I've seen it. So we yeah, know that yeah. it, I know it exists. But and I, I like, know that it's here. On it. <laughs> and I'm like, here's a picture of my dog. You know, like, <laughs> I should post more art. So I, uh, oh yeah, so drawing from life, like, I, I feel is a great way to sort of just relax and just draw honestly, you know? And not draw stuff that you've seen before. Like, just really look at the thing you're drawing and draw it. And, like, if you're drawing a coffee cup, draw the coffee cup. Don't just draw your what you think a coffee cup looks like. Draw that particular coffee cup and be specific. Or sometimes drawing with the opposite hand that isn't your dominant hand can be really great. Like, I love to do that sometimes because you can get really weird, cool drawings out of that. And it makes your brain think differently. It's really good for you mentally, I think. Because I, I, I'm guilty of this where I'll just rely on short hands a lot. And I'm like, oh, I know how to draw like a nose or this kind of face. It's something I know how to draw and I'll just like rough it in. But it's not really that person that I'm sketching in, you know, Starbucks or whatever. It's just like it's part of my generic person file in my head. And I'm like, no, I should draw that person's actual face and caricature it or, you know, draw realistically or whatever. Just, you know, observing is a really great learning tool. And it helps you just get better as an artist all the time. Excellent. And I want to ask you about the internship because oh, yeah. when I talked to Domi about it in previous interview, mm-hmm. she mentioned it was very fun and very difficult and a lot of Sharpie <laughs> fumes and a lot of Chinese <laughs> food and a lot of tears and stress. So that was, was that <laughs> your experience as well or was it a little bit different? Absolutely. Yeah. Very similar. Like it was, it was really fun because you're in this room with other people and you're all like sweaty and (laughs) stressed because your deadline is coming up and it's, it's hard because, you know, a lot of people who are in the internship are people who have just kind of been storyboarding for just a couple of years, you know, not that long. Obviously there's a range, but most of us are students and still learning this, this kind of stuff. And, um, it's like Project Runway where they give you an assignment. They're like, <laughs> you have, you know, a week to do this. And you're like, ah. <laughs> and when I did it, it was all on paper as well. So the Sharpie fumes are very accurate. Yeah. You, you're a little, little loopy after, at the end of the day <laughs> from all the Sharpie. But I think uh, this year they did it digitally. So oh, um, really? They changed it up. I think they changed it up. I don't know if that's permanent, but I was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, that is how we do it. Most, of the, most places are digital at this point, especially including Pixar. And so people certainly are welcome to board on paper. I, I don't think that's ever been discouraged, but I guess might as well learn good digital habits while you can and why not. But that's a tangent. Anyway, yeah, when I did it, it was definitely stressful, but it was, it was really fun. You know, it, it, it's hard work, but when you've got other people in the room with you who are in the same boat, you're like, well, at least we're in this together, you know? <laughs> I'm not like by myself, <laughs> sweating alone in the shadowy corner. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, must finish this drawing, must yeah. not die. Yeah, I'm in a vacuum. I don't know who to talk to. So that's good. And, you know, like, pe- and people who work here are super friendly and they would come in and be like, how you guys doing? You know, and they could give us advice if we needed, you know, if we had questions. And so that was cool. I had uh, Kevin O'Brien was my mentor and he was really helpful. He was a great match for me because I was still pretty bad at drawing in perspective and I think just really good at faking it. <laughs> so he helped me learn how to actually draw in real perspective, like better. <laughs> so that was nice. And just, you know, and, and you learn a lot of things like, cause I was, for me personally, I was still coming from a very illustratory kind of background and I kept thinking like an illustrator and very like two dimensionally and like designing the page, but I wasn't thinking cinematically like a filmmaker thinking like this is a camera and I'm just drawing what the camera seeing, you know? And so that it's, it sounds like it's not that big a difference, but it really is when, when you think about it that way, it suddenly pushes your drawings to feel more dimensional. And speaking of seeing things cinematically, how do you approach breaking down a story and figuring out the different story beats. What is your process for that? Yeah, it, it kind of changes every time, depending on how I feel that day or what I had for lunch that day or, you know, 
Uh, but a lot of people like to thumbnail. I'm not really a thumbnailer. I try to thumbnail. But I like to just kind of dive in. And I like to do this thing where I shrink down my, because I work digitally. So I'll like shrink down my file to about thumbnail size and just draw, you know, like click through it, like make a bunch of, you know, boards, I guess you could say, and just go as fast as I can stream of consciousness, like rough it all out, the vomit pass. There it is. You know, it's there and it's terrible and it's not good. And you don't understand what's happening, but I know what it is, what's going on. And I know what I mean by it. And then I at least have something to work with. Cause for me, like the kiss of death is just a bunch of blank, blank boards in front of me. I just stare at them and get intimidated and can't, I just feel paralyzed. So I just put something down. That's like my first impression after reading the script a couple of times and talking with the director and the story suit to make sure I understand the intent by behind the scene. And then, yeah, just rough first impression. And then I just kind of work back and forth in it until it feels right. So I'll, I try to think of it kind of like doing a painting where you don't do like one eye and then you do the next eye and then you do the nose and then you do the mouth and you do the hair, you know, like you're draw the whole head in, you rough in the whole head and then you rough in the basic colors you're going to put down. And then you start to rough in kind of the general face shape and the shadows. And that's how I like to storyboard. So I, I try to think of it the same way and it's hard because it's a sequential scene, you know, with drawings that sort of are all individually done so it can be tricky to get lost in noodling it but i try to think of the overall scene and think okay well what's the big visual outline of like images that are very clearly demonstrating what the scene is about visually and i'll put those in first and then kind of think of them as my tent poles i also learned this from kevin brian and that helps me a lot to stay focused and then i just then i have something to work with so it's it's all rough and terrible but but there's something there to work with. And I suddenly feel like I can relax and have fun with it. So that's usually what I do. That's a good process. That's really good. Yeah. I know that everyone has a slightly different way, but it's always interesting to hear how people see the script or get an idea or in a gag session and just figure out, all right, how am I going to go about this? Yeah, I just try to visualize it in my head as much as I can and then just like draw it as fast as I can before I forget what it looks like in my head. If that makes any sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> that makes and it never looks it never looks exactly like what it looks like in my head. It's all, like it, it it's always better in our heads, I feel like, but it's at least getting something across, you know. And then I have something I can show my coworker or my story soup or whoever and say, Hey, you know, does this make sense or what do you think? And they give me their feedback and it helps us really kind of find the scene together. So I also like to be really collaborative and share my work with people. I, I'm not one of those people that likes to like hide it and, you know, hide away in my office and just do it and not show anyone until the big pitch. And that's fine. If some people like to do that, like I, I totally get like some people work better in isolation, but I, I like to work very socially and just, you know, be like, if I have an office mate, you know, I had Mike Yates as an office mate on cars three. And I was like, Hey, Mike, does this drawing make sense? And he would give me feedback and it was great. You know? That's also really good. Don't be shy, you know, is, is my mantra. <laughs> Speaking of sharing your work, is that something that you developed over time or, or are you just more naturally comfortable sharing your work with other people? I developed it over time because I used to be really self-conscious of my work. Like I was very embarrassed by it because I never thought it was good enough. And then eventually, like in storyboarding, you you can't really be precious. And I think I still had this kind of illustration mindset where I was like, Ooh, I want it to be beautiful and perfectly drawn hands or, you know, whatever. And I had to kind of let that go and just being on the job uh, and being forced to kind of just like jump into the fire and go, you don't have time to worry about that. So you get used to just kind of loosening up and relaxing. And I think just the job itself has helped me to just relax and be more comfortable sharing my ugly, scratchy chicken scratch drawings. (laughs) With people. And then you can always make it look pretty later. You know, you just want to make sure that the the cinematography and the clarity is there first. And then yeah. you can make the acting look really nice and stuff. <laughs> and then you make it art book quality. 
with, yeah. where people oh, look yeah, at those... and go, well, look how beautiful they are. And yeah. you're going, ha ha. I don't know. <laughs> those art books are, those are all cleaned up. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's good for people to know though. Cause yeah. I remember I used, to, <laughs> well, I used to think that that's how everyone did boards, <laughs> that they were just these beautiful, oh. pristine images every single time and it wasn't until i started working and seeing them i realized oh sometimes people use post-it notes and note cards and sometimes this is almost one level above a stick figure yeah you just have to like those things aren't gospel you know like they're super helpful but they're definitely polished you know like i i know some artists they'll find out they have some sequences they're gonna go in the art of book and they'll like rush to clean them up and make them look pretty you know because it's it's kind of you're like showing your work to the world i mean i in the funny book, I have a drawing in there that I didn't know about, and it is an ugly drawing. It is, <laughs> it is awful. And I didn't know it was in there. <laughs> and I saw it when I, and someone was like, oh, I saw your drawing in the Art of book. And I was like, wait, what? In the funny book, sorry. And I was like, wait, what? So I looked it up, and I was so embarrassed. And it, it's fine. I mean, it's, it is what it is. It's, it's real. But it's, it's not a pretty drawing by any means. It's very rough, <laughs> but I was like, you know what? That's okay. It's good for people to see that. I will take a little humiliation for people to feel encouraged. <laughs> you bring up a really good point with talking about the funny book. So we will talk about that now. Oh. So for those out there who have not heard of it, it's a collection of all of the gag or not all of them, but many of the gag sessions at Pixar. And there may be quite a few people out there that don't know what a gag session is. So can you talk about that? Yeah, a lot of times on a movie, they might get stuck on something or just want to think about something that could be cool uh, in the story. And so they'll call everybody in, a bunch of story artists, and say, hey, you know, we're thinking of having, uh, I don't know, what's a movie that's come out? Uh, Nemo, do this funny thing. And, you know, what, what are some things you guys think Nemo could do? And then we'll just sit around and shoot the breeze and throw out jokes and draw and come up with fun ideas for gags about what that character could be doing or what the world could be like sometimes we'll come up with like world building stuff as well and it's really fun it's sometimes kind of scary because you have to really think on your feet it's almost like improv but it's definitely part of the storyboarding job is coming up with gags and that is one of the things I think I'm weakest at for sure because it's a lot harder for me because I you have to kind of like draw on the fly and be like oh hold up your drawing and go what about this and it's you know hilarious and or not hilarious, you know, and you have to be willing to throw out bad ideas as well as good ones. So it's like this kind of fun frenzy of story artists coming up with fun ideas <laughs> for a movie. I don't know if that explains it the best way, but... No, I feel like it explains that a lot. And that actually leads okay. to my next question, which is, you went from being in school and freelancing and taking other classes to working at arguably, you know, the best animation studio out there by, you know, most people's public opinion. So how did you deal with that when you first started working full time? Because I imagine, you know, I've heard stories from other people, not just at Pixar, at other studios that that can be very exciting, but also very nerve wracking and scary because all of a sudden you're in this place with all these people that you saw on all of those behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. DVDs. <laughs> yeah, it was so intimidating. My first year here, I had, I had really bad imposter syndrome. Like I would go home and cry a lot. And I was like, I don't belong there. I'm a fraud. Like they made a mistake. <laughs> you know, they're gonna, they're gonna realize that I've just been faking it all along and I was just really charming in my interview and that's all like you know it was not at all um positive for me you know me being to myself like the the studio itself is very encouraging and very welcoming but I was just so hard on myself because you're surrounded by all these people who are very very talented and you know some of them have been in the business for longer than you've been alive <laughs> and you're suddenly their co-worker and you're like oh my gosh you shaped my childhood. <laughs> now I'm working with you, <laughs> you know? So yeah, I'm like working with all these people who are, yeah, just like they worked on the Iron Giant and just movies that I totally loved growing up. And so, and Toy Story, I mean, I was totally nuts for Toy Story as a kid. 
And um, suddenly, you know, like John Lasser is like right there. And I was like, oh my gosh. So <laughs> it was definitely intimidating, but it was also, I, I think, good to go through that because it, it was humbling and helped me just kind of, it helped me to really take my job seriously. And once I sort of, you know, spent more time in the trenches, so to speak, of with myself, you know, like trying to learn and get better, I slowly started to relax and get more confidence. And, you know, now I'm at a much better place, but I had really bad imposter syndrome. And I think it's a lot more common than people might be aware of, because I, I just was so worried that I just was not worthy. You know, <laughs> it was just like this crippling anxiety. And, and there's no, there's no, not one thing I did to get rid of it. I just sort of wrote it out and kept going and like Dory just keeps swimming. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know what? I feel like I don't belong here, but they picked me and there's a reason for that. So I'm just going to like trust that and go with it. And God has you here for a reason. So just stay strong. And it was, so it was okay. But the first year was really hard. And I don't say to scare anyone, just that was my honest experience. The workplace itself, though, definitely is like, is awesome. I think when you work at a place with so many talented people, you can easily make the mistake of comparing yourself and, you know, feeling like you're not good enough. And you have, that can be the kiss of death if you let it, but if you don't let it, you'll be okay. <laughs> That's good to know. Cause I, you were not the only one, <laughs> you know, yeah, I know I feel sure. that way. Many, many people have felt that way. So just, yeah. I think it's helpful to know that if you feel that way, that is very common. But yeah. no, like you said, they did choose you for a reason. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't like they went, yeah. oh, we accidentally hired Louise. We <laughs> accidentally <laughs> interviewed her for several hours and had her go through the internship. How did that happen? Right. Yeah. And I was like, and looking back on it now, I'm like, oh, yeah, like I was green, but I can see that they they saw something in there that maybe I didn't see myself, you know, and I just had to trust that. So sometimes you have to just kind of trust it. Like, all right, you know what? I might think I'm crazy, but maybe there's something to this whole thing. And so you just do your best. Absolutely. And be forgiving with yourself if you make mistakes. Like, that's okay, too. I like that you said forgive yourself, because I think a lot <laughs> of people don't, especially artists. It's, it's not perfect. I've failed. I didn't yeah. get the job. I failed. This hand looks terrible. I failed. It's like, no, no, no. Yeah, exactly. Like one of my favorite teachers, I keep naming a lot of teachers because I'm just like, shout out, shout out. <laughs> John Hendricks at WashU. He's a, an illustrator, fantastic guy. And he gave me, he gave all of us a sketchbook that has on the front uh, the words, failure is required. And I keep that in my office on my bookshelf on like the top shelf. And it's a reminder every day when I look at it, like, you know what? Failure is required. It is part of learning. It is important. Fail fast, fail often, get it out. The more you fail, the more you learn. It's means you're taking, it means you're taking risks and you're trying and, you know, being perfect and never failing, you know, maybe sure. Maybe you're doing something quote unquote perfect, but <laughs> are you really like, is that really not a failure? You know, like, I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I think it's important to embrace the possibility of failing and be okay with it. If you do, you have to. I like it. And it's impossible to be perfect. Nobody is perfect. Yeah, the most really, perfect people you yeah. see on the inside, they're worried about someone or something either real or just completely in their head. You have no idea. Yeah. yeah. You never know. Someone whose art you admire to the end of days is like probably thinking some insecure thought as well. You know, you just never know. So it's important to remember that as well. Like we're all human. We all are prone to error and that is just part of life, you know? So once I kind of relaxed about that and was like, oh, this is normal. <laughs> it helped me to loosen up a little bit and I became a better employee, I think, after that. So, Giving yourself permission to fail. <laughs> well, I also like, too, because you mentioned, you know, Mike Yates, and he's been on the show before. You mentioned other yeah. mentors there. I like that 
you also said that you seek out assistance from people and help and advice from people. You didn't just decide, nope, I'm going to tough it out on my own. I'm going to be, you know, the lone sailor in my own little <laughs> ship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And some people might work better that way. And like, I totally don't discount that as a, a working option. But for me personally, like, I just can't tough it out like alone. You know, I, I, I could if I had to it would be a lot, a lot more of a rocky road. You know, I, I like just saying to someone, Hey, can you look over the sh- my shoulder for a second and tell me this looks okay? You know? And I try not to do it too much cause I don't want to be annoying, but at the same time, like people are pretty nice. <laughs> and so you're, you're probably going to get, you know, someone to say yes and help you out no matter what. So, and, and it's great to check with your peers and they're like, it's like a test audience to make sure like if, if a joke that you're storyboarding lands or not, it might be funny to you, but do they think it's funny? Like, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways to um, approach that. So I definitely encourage peer support. <laughs> peer support Absolutely. sounds good. And now yeah. I want to take <laughs> a completely different track. Cause this is, I feel very important for us to talk about that mm-hmm. you were nominated for an Annie Award not too long ago for (laughs) the Toy Story Christmas special. And I would love for you to talk about that because I was I was very, very proud and impressed by that. And that was a very fun special. So what was it like working on that project? And how did you feel when you found out you'd been nominated for an award? Oh man. Well, working on the project was like so fun. It was, I was like, these are the toys I wanted as a kid. Dinosaur gladiators. Are you kidding me? This is amazing. (laughs) So it was really fun to get to draw cool dinosaurs and battle armor. (laughs) And (laughs) I love Trixie from Toy Story 3. So I just, I really identified with her because she's kind of geeky and that's how I feel a lot of the time. So I was like, oh man, yes, this is awesome. And um, Steve Purcell, the director, he's he's really fun and has a great sense of humor and just fantastic artist. And I really loved working with him. And Derek Thompson was the head of story, and he had also his own unique sense of humor. And I just learned so much. He was he was great because he would really be hard on me about my cinematography skills in in a way that was very encouraging. And I sort of saw him as like a mentor my first year because that was my first year working here when I was going through a lot of you know my own insecurities and stuff. And having someone, you know, really push me helped a lot. So I enjoyed working with him as well. And yeah, just the movie, the movie itself, like, or the short, I guess I should call it the short was uh, just a blast. I mean, we had a lot of influences from a lot of our own, you know, childhood geekeries and love of all things, battle <laughs> And I thoroughly enjoyed that. <laughs> Embracing my inner warrior. <laughs> so it was fun. and. The finding out I was nominated for an Annie Award was super trippy. I was like, I didn't believe, like, I didn't even know. Cause I don't like, it was on, apparently they posted it on cartoon brew or something. And I, I didn't, I don't check that site that much. And I, uh, my, and I had all these people emailing me about it and I was like, what? And so I went and looked it up and I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't, oh, that's cool. I was kind of in shock because I didn't expect it. Cause that was the year I was so insecure. Yeah, so finding out I was nominated was, like, really crazy, and I just was not expecting it, seriously. I Like, I submitted my stuff, because I was like, oh, why not, you know? But I didn't, in a million years, think it would get nominated, because I was so down on myself that year, and so insecure. Again, sorry, sob story. <laughs> not really, <laughs> but it was, like, really shocking. And so I, I was shocked, and then I felt guilty that my coworkers weren't nominated, because I thought they were really good and deserved it more than I did. And then I was like, you know what, it's cool, like... I'm glad that I got nominated and I accepted it. And it was for some storyboards that I did when I finally kind of actually like chilled out a little bit and stopped feeling so frozen and intimidated by being here at Pixar. It helped. It it was from a scene when uh, it's been out for a while. So this isn't really a spoiler, but if you haven't seen Battlesaurs, this is a spoiler. Turn off the podcast, (laughs) go watch it and then come back. Um, But it was a scene where, Reptilus Maximus, the um, handsome warrior dinosaur, finds out that he is a toy. So it's kind of similar to Buzz Lightyear's realization in the first Toy Story movie. But I wanted to make it different because I was like, you know, I don't want this to be too similar. And what can I do? And I've been feeling really inspired by a lot of 
really innovative cin cinematographers at the time that I had been looking at for inspiration. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to play with a toy that's about the size of Reptilus and just see what I can come up with. And I took the toy out of um, its plastic packaging and was like, oh, what if I shot what if I shot Reptilus through the plastic and he walked into his own form that is in those plastic toy packaging that you see. So I just tried that and I showed it to my head a story. I was like, Hey, I thought of this idea. What do you think? And he, he thought it was really cool. And so I went with it and that was the scene that got nominated. So it just came from a moment of like relaxing and just ha trying to have fun, you know, and playing with a toy. <laughs> and so I, that was good for me too to learn. Like the key to this is just having a good time and loosening up and, thinking of what would be cool like what would, what would I like to see like so that was encouraging to uh, have something kind of remind me like yeah that was great <laughs> I like that I like that you went to what inspired you but that you also had the thought of here's what I would like to see if I was watching this not yeah. just here's what we've already seen yeah because I didn't want to make it, I didn't want it to feel like it was just rehashing something we already knew because that's such a you know well-established idea in the toy story world and so i was just like well what makes it different visually at least and um and it was different you know because reptiles is a totally different character but uh that that made it a lot of fun <laughs> very cool and you've worked on several other movies since then toy story mm -hmm. 4 and cars 3 which will be coming out soon and in you know, as of now, unnamed project that we won't talk about because it's secret. You can talk about in a couple of years when everything's out and running. But how do you adjust working with different directors and different story teams on different projects? Since movies and, you know, the shows, since they take so long to develop, I imagine that, you know, you have this really solid camaraderie with your team. How do you go from that to then being on another team and then kind of reestablishing that? It's definitely an adjustment. I've learned sometimes I kind of like to just sit back and observe and be quiet the first couple of weeks that I'm on a new project and just sort of see what the team dynamic looks like. And then I slowly warm up and get really loud and comfortable <laughs> and tell lots of jokes and stuff. <laughs> and, and sometimes it depends on, you know, the, the director and their personality and the chemistry of the whole team. So I kind of just sort of feel it out but it's always a transition it's always a little awkward when you come on to a new project and you don't you're not you haven't been part of that team for a while um but at the same time that part is over so fast and you, you get you know assimilated into the vortex of story very quickly and you bond very quickly because storyboarding is hard and fun and crazy so um yeah i, I had so much fun cars 3 you know is coming out in june and uh, we just finished that, wrapping up the story on that. And I had so much fun on that show. Like, I did not think I would. I was like, oh, I don't know, Cars 3, like, drawing cars. I, I don't know how to draw a car. I'm kind of nervous. I'm like the only girl on the team. I don't know. It's like all these guys. And I went on it, and I had the best time. <laughs> I had so much fun. It was great. And I felt so welcome and just had such a blast working on that project. And so sometimes you have to just like, you know, have an open mind and take the things that come to you and go for it. And it, it was great. I, some of my best memories at Pixar are on that project. <laughs> it was so fun. And, and the one I want now, of course, is great. But I, yeah, can't talk about it. But it's really fun, too. <laughs> and you make a really good observation, which is, you know, wanting to get in, but, you know, you're going to be the only woman on the team and wondering what that's like. I remember reading that half the animation students are women, but half mm. the, you know, half of the people in animation working professionally are not yet women mm -hmm. and more women are getting into story, but it's still not 50, 50. So how have you dealt with that? How do you go through your day and like work hard so that, you know, you can be your best doing it, you know, at your job? Yeah, it's funny because like gender never even crossed my mind. I don't know if that's just me or if I was like, oh, I just want to be a story artist. Like I didn't think I'm going to be a female story artist. You know, I wasn't like asterisk next to story artist. Uh, she's female. I, I just was like, that's what I want to do. And it just was never a thought. And until I started working here and I had a lot of people asking me, so what's it like to be a woman in story? And I was like, is, is there a difference? Am I supposed to feel different? Cause I don't. 
so it was really interesting. Like I felt very comfortable working with, with people of whatever gender. Cause I was like, well, we're all just storytellers, you know, and it doesn't matter what your background is. And, um, but after being on a few movies, after, you know, working with a lot of different people, I have, I have come to learn like, okay, there are some differences and I, I'm okay with that. You know, like when I was on cars three as the only female story artist, we had a female writer, but, uh, I noticed like, sometimes there would be things that would come up where I would have to say, Oh, well, you know, that might not be the best idea because da da da. And so I would have to sort of speak up for the female side of the characters or the audience maybe that would be watching it and just give that perspective. And when you're the only one, it can feel like there's a little extra pressure because you're like the one, the sole representation, <laughs> representation of like your gender. <laughs> and that can be a little intimidating, but, um, it was something that I just never considered. And then once I had to start kind of like doing that a little more, it opened my eyes up a little bit to it. And I was like, Oh, okay. So this is kind of a thing. And it wasn't bad. It wasn't like, you know, there was no weird stuff or anything. It was just, there's just a different mindset sometimes that you have to like speak up and offer your opinion and your voice. And that's why it's good to have diversity. I think, because everyone has different ideas and opinions that, are personal to them. And you might not get to hear that if everyone has the same mindset or similar backgrounds that, that, you know, they can't quite relate to everybody maybe the same way. So I think it's, it's, um, I've been curious about that. Cause I've, yeah, I mean, not in animation, but I've, I've seen both, you know, I've been on both sides where I've been on teams that were all women and that mm-hmm. was great. And then I've been on teams where it's all men except for me. And that was also great. But I've yeah, also, yeah. you know, I've also been in teams where I've been in teams with like mostly men and it's been bad. And I've also been on teams where it's mostly women. And it's been bad, too. Totally. I know that everyone's experience is different. And sometimes it is because of gender or race. Things mm-hmm. do not go well because I've experienced, you know, all of that. But sometimes I found that it's not necessarily your gender that helps you get along or not get along with people. Sometimes it's just some people are just better to work with than other people <laughs> I think regardless so. yeah. just because of who knows what yeah because again when i was on a team with like all guys they were like the nicest coolest people to work with and i had the i had a great time and i felt like very totally respected and listened to and you know they were they took my my notes and my ideas seriously and i was very very happy on that project so I definitely want to have that out there that there's nothing wrong with like, if you're the only woman on a team with all guys, like that's not necessarily a bad thing. You can, you know, think of it in a more positive light and see it as like an opportunity to work with people who are just different from you and vice versa. But, you know, obviously diversity is important and something that we're all striving for in the industry. I think I definitely think that's on people's minds a lot more these days as, as it should be. But yeah, it's, it's just interesting. Like, how it never crossed my mind for a second. I'm a woman in animation. Like I just never even thought about it. It was just no question. And then people started asking me about it. Like it was kind of weird that I was a girl, not in a bad way. Just, you know, they're just curious. And I was like, Oh, I guess I am a girl. That doesn't really change how I storyboard, but okay. (laughs) You know, maybe it does. And I just am not aware of it, but it's just interesting. I think it is. I think, Mm-hmm. I just like hearing people's opinions and how yeah. they feel about stuff. Because for me, I mean, I've always had it on my mind, but it was because I was heading up women in animation when I was in San Francisco. So for me, sure, it was like, sure. it's there directly in front of me. This is like <laughs> a mission, you know, but totally. I know that's not yeah. the same for everybody. Yeah. I remember when I, I went to CTN one year and uh, women in, in animation was there and, and I was like, oh, cool. That's, that's good. That's nice to know that we have support because it is, I mean, it is still very like, male dominated industry and that just for whatever reason you know like a lot of industries i think still are so just because of history uh but you know it's nice to have groups that support you and know that you know there's people who have your back if if things are awkward or weird or problematic in any way you know you have people you can go to and it's um definitely good to know that you know that is great to hear 
And that concludes part one of my interview with Louise Smythe. Make sure to check out part two in two weeks and also check out all of her amazing links in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed today's interview, make sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And thank you so much to everyone who has rated and reviewed the show so far. I really appreciate it. And you can also support the show by visiting www.theanimatedjourney.com and making a donation via PayPal. All of your donations help me to keep the show up and running and make sure to support all of our affiliate sponsors, audible.com, amazon.com, Loot Crate, and Blueberry Podcast Hosting. Every time you click on those banner ads and make a purchase, a little bit of money comes back to the show. And that helps me to keep the show up and running as well. So please make sure to support all of our sponsors. And if you're interested in finding out what else is going on in the wonderful world of animation, you can visit the website as well as the Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash the animated journey. On Tumblr, it's theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at animjourney. And to find out what I have been up to lately, you can visit my website, www.sketchysoul.com. On Tumblr, it's sketchysoul.tumblr.com. Facebook is facebook.com slash sketchysoul. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at sketchysoul. So thank you all for listening and make sure to tune in next time to hear part two of my interview with Luis. And as always, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody. Bye.